I'm gonna bring the energy because we need to bring the energy. What are we bringing the energy on? Well, there's lots to talk about, right? Yeah, we got some stuff in the news. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been toying with this, right? Matt and I were talking about how do we bring a little bit more, maybe uh, let's call it formatting to the show. Okay. So that as listeners, you, there are some things that we could start to count on. So, you know, we could talk about some of the things that are in the news, mm-hmm. talk about some of the principles that we espouse to as a firm as when it comes to investing. And then we can talk about tips for the, the do it yourselfer. Right. And then I think we could talk about really whatever we want to. But what I'm focused on right now, I mean, why am I doing 75 hard? I, I keep coming back to this. This is a it's just this nudge. Uh, it's kind of a dog whistle word, though. Right. It just is. As soon as I say it, you're like, well, it's not that bad. But it is in certain circles. The term is stewardship. OK. okay? The reason it's a dog whistle is because it's popular in the faith community. Right. There's specific references to stewardship, but I don't want to view this exclusively through the lens of faith. I'm not going to ignore that, but I think it's really important that anybody, regardless of their faith or their spirituality, can take the the nuggets that are truth regardless. I think stewardship is not just our money. Mm -hmm. Right. It's our time. It's our health. It is uh, how we choose to do what we do. I mean, it's, 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 it's all of those things. It's, you know, where, where does your money go? What, you know, what are the things, what are the principles you're going to live by? These are all part of the stewardship package. This is why the 75 hard challenge is still relevant, even on a financial show, if it's not just finances, but it's stewardship of resources. Right. Because it's more than just money, right? Yeah. Well, and it needs to be, I'll tell you one thing we will talk about today. I'm going to start with this, but you know, there's a billion dollar lottery out there. There is. Okay. And so uh, we're going to do something funny later in the show. Funny because I'm going to give you the Dave Littlejohn formula for the billion dollar winner. Okay. okay? I'll look forward to this. Okay. But there's some other things in the news too. Okay. Like Matt, what, you were telling me about uh, stuff from China. Yeah. Some interesting data points. There are. Um, I was looking at how much shipping is going from China to the U.S. And if you look at a you know, go back a year, the numbers were somewhere around like 25% less goods are being shipped into the U.S. from China than they were a year ago. And that's a and huge... A ago, and we were still kind of coming out of the pandemic right. a year ago. And I think um, from what the article alluded to, it was talking about how um, even after COVID, you know, there were lockdowns that were happening in China and um, it just caused this huge supply chain disruption. And companies in the U.S. didn't view some of the companies in China as reliable anymore. And so they had to shift where they were getting their products from because they had to have stuff on the shelf. And we saw that, right? There were shortages of things all the time. And so big business in the U.S. has, you know, largely moved business other places, you know, whether it's India or whatever other country you want to look at. And so there's been an interesting dynamic shift there. Um, But what was also really interesting, um, shipping to Russia from China is up 50% from a year Mm. ago. And so we're starting to see a real global realignment of where stuff is coming from. And it makes a really big impact as investors. We kind of need to be clued in and aware of what's happening on a global scale. Yeah, I think that that's... Uh, a really interesting uh, the, the point's super valid right i mean mm-hmm. how 
geopolitics does have an effect on geoeconomics. Right. And yeah. these companies, too, you also have to think, what is the final cost to the consumer? Because if the cost was X, getting that good from China, and now we have to go get it from another country, is that also driving inflation? And I think we can largely assume yes. That That's a big shift when you have to retool and get your products from other places. That can be a contributing factor to the inflation yeah. problem we see. And, and, and I would suggest it could go either way, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe pivoting from China to another supplier was cheaper. It could be. Right? So that could be, in theory, uh, deflationary, mm -hmm. right? Or it could at least s slow inflation. But yeah, there's there's a, a number of things at play that you know I see in the the the, the globalization of the marketplace mm -hmm. or lack thereof or the disruption of the globalization of the marketplace, and then I also see the 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 elements that are at conflict with each other in globalization. Well, I think we can universally pretty much agree that goods and services coming from the U.S. have gotten more expensive. Sure. I mean, we've seen prices adjust here in the States rapidly. Um, and so that's also changing the dynamic as well. Yeah. And so th there's so many things about what's contributing to it. And I, I'm always sort of torn around this because, well, I don't lack an opinion mm -hmm. about these things. The question is, like, is it useful on this program? Right. Like, is it useful for us to talk to investors about, okay, here's the policies that we are propagating. And this is not a surprising result, right? I mean, like a simple one, but this is not a surprise that we've seen a whole bunch of inflation in our economy after we went through a massive money printing mm -hmm. giveaway program during the pandemic, right. right? Where we literally choked down productivity and simultaneously increased the amount of money in circulation. And then what did we get? A revaluation of the currency itself and its purchasing power. And, you know, if you scratch your head and think, I didn't see this coming, I would say, then you you were willfully blind, mm -hmm. right? Like there, there was just no way around the policy outcome here that this was going to happen. Um, what, what probably threw people off for a while is how long it took for government data to say that inflation was occurring. But the consumer knew long before that and, was, you know, kind of said, you're kidding, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when, oh, well, we see the, the inflation remains low. We need to persist in more quantitative easing. And, we, you know, hung on, hung on, hung on. And before we knew it, inflation looked like a hockey stick in the data points. But consumers sniffed it out long before. Mm -hmm. and, and that, frankly, comes down to other decisions about how we even record the data. Right. right. So, you know, well, what is included in our government indicators and so forth? Okay. I don't know that our listeners care. I mean, I think if it's a your team, my team thing, and you're like, well, I want to feel like the leadership I elected made good decisions or the leadership I didn't elect made bad decisions, eh, throw rocks, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't help us, not for no. investing. No. What is something that can help us yeah, when well, investing? Understanding what's going on can help us to navigate it, right? right? We can grouse all we want about why it happened, but that's water that's already over the dam. We got to talk about what to do next. That's true, right? So first of all, you know, we got to do next. Probably take an yeah, obscene we've profit break. Take an obscene profit break coming up right now. Stick around. On the flip side here, we will unpack more about like what does it mean, like all these moving data points, and like like what does it mean, China and Russia, well, that and more. When we come back, this is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. We got True All on News Radio 93.9 FM and 12:40 KTVA.
Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where you were just joining me and... Matt Dixon. Right, and if you're trying to figure out where we're at, this will be podcasted tomorrow. Yes. Right, well, maybe a day after tomorrow, something like that. But basically, you can get caught up on the program. You can listen to the whole thing. So if you're late to the game, go to littlejohnfs.com and look under our Knowledge Center, and we got a bunch of podcasts in there. Mm -hmm. So... Matt, at yes. the break, for, first, right, the you did bring out this really interesting point, and then we talked about it a little at the break, and I think our listeners could benefit from this. Okay, It was the question of, well, just the point of like, hey, it looks like Russia and China are starting to Strengthen do more that business. Tie. Yeah. Right? And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Right, And I feel like there's a whole bunch of knock-on effects to what that could potentially mean if we're just trying to like stare out in the future and say, hey, you know, what might happen because. Right. So, and then we went to the break, and I started rambling about oil, right? Yeah. Yeah. And how did I get there? That's what everyone wants to know. Um, yeah, why are you rambling about oil, man? Okay. So I'm going to wrap it all together, and it might sound like a rant, but I'm going to try and tie Dude, this I all together. I love Matt rants. Okay. Go. Matt rant, begin. Oil. Russia was producing a ton of oil for us. The conflict in Ukraine starts. We decide that we're not going to import Russian oil. We all know this, right? So now we have shifted to uh, bringing in our uh, strategic oil reserves into the mix, and we've been draining that reserve, and it has dwindled dramatically. So we've kind of played that chess piece. It's gone. Um, now we are shifting to trying to find other sources for oil, and we've seen Saudi Arabia already come out and say, hey, we're not going to up the supply to the U.S., and so now we are scrambling um, here in the States to try and, you know, acquire that oil that we need to move infrastructure to keep the country running. And it's become this pinch point. We're seeing oil prices drift higher again. And I was also starting to think about stagflation back in the 70s, where we saw the Fed fund rate move higher, which we've seen that happen lately too and then oil prices skyrocketed as well so i'm looking at this and i'm saying could this be an issue on a larger scale and does it all correlate that's a loaded question yeah go so i'm hitting the the chest timer oh, so i play yeah, yeah, right. i played my my oh, round no, this will be super awesome Okay. Everybody, get out your foil hats. Oh, I like foil hats. Hey, this, this is this is, is my time to shine. Tin foil yeah. hat time. Okay, consider for a moment um, several of the points. All right. First, so uh, I think one of the first points you made was like Russia was a major supplier of oil, mm -hmm. and what I I believe that mostly they supplied Europe. That they were a major supplier to Europe, that we didn't get a ton of Russian oil directly. But what happened is the the we were bringing in the raw oil. Well, we were getting it from Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia and Russia was going to Europe, I think. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but now if Russia's not getting it to Europe, Europe's got to get it from somewhere, and so it puts a supply strain because now we're competing for it. It's true. So it doesn't really we, matter where, but that's just sure. so. The first step is like I think that we've still been importing oil. Now, interestingly enough, do we have to import oil? Okay. Probably not. So, it was because if, if 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 oil prices go up, then it becomes economically viable to extract oil from shale in the Dakotas, mm -hmm. right? And there's a lot of oil reserves in the United States that largely go untapped for uh, political reasons, mm -hmm. right? Now, stay with me, foil hat. All right. Okay. So, you have a 
current regime in power. This is going to sound very politically motivated here. Okay, it just will. But we're wearing foil hats. I'm not trying to take sides. I'm just saying, let's just look at this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have the current administration that is largely a globalist administration, meaning that they are interested in having the United States join a global coalition of countries and govern around the idea of, of creating policy that extends beyond borders and is a like multinational policy. And one of the primary drivers of funding such an organization would be cap and trade. Mm-hmm. Okay? Cap and trade is the idea that if you produce too much environmentally damaging uh, CO2 in the atmosphere, you would have to buy carbon offsets or otherwise pay penalties, okay? Which would then be collected, and where do those payments go? Who gets paid for the cap and trade? Whatever the governing authority is, okay? So if you're a globalist regime and you have other multinational corporations that stand to benefit from coalescing and keeping competition out, okay, and you and you start to migrate that direction, and and, and much of this seems to make sense given the political off-balance sheet activities of one president's kid and <laughs> what's going on, right? You look right. at this and say, oh, so s- let's go ahead and drain the strategic petroleum reserves, drive up the cost of fuel, try to push everybody towards other fuel sources, and try to br- usher in these new environmental policies. Now, the, r- the monkey wrench of the whole thing is this Russia-China coalition, where we know China is one of the largest polluters on the planet Mm -hmm. okay right and and so and granted they're coming into industrialization and so forth but they're they're not signing up for the climate agreements here and we also know that like if the united states did everything you know it may make like a you know a fraction of a percentage of an impact compared to what china's doing it won't be enough to offset what's going on here so then you think well if it's not about the actual results then what's it actually about well it always is about money and so, yes, so to me, this is the, a matter of how do you push policy through making fuel so expensive? What people don't often see is alternative energy sources, when oil gets really expensive, they become more viable. Mm-hmm. So if you drive up the price of oil, you can drive these other industries and you can drive the politics behind them that leads towards more of a globalist regime. And it, again, you can you can leverage the concepts of cap and trade and so forth, which is part of why you get such a re- like certain folks that look at environmental impact, not as a, hey, you know, we ought to consider this, but like it's almost a religion. And it's like a, everything must be built around this, even though, like, for example, we know the idea of California going to 100 percent electric by 2030. Just not even possible. It's not mechanically possible. No. There's just not enough components in the world available right now, right. nor the ability to bring them online fast enough to get there. We know it can't happen. Some would suggest, well, maybe by planting the flag and getting close, it's a good step So in what's direction. your foil hat theory on why they continue to claim this to be the goal? What do you mean this to be? Well, like that they want to be, you know, banning gasoline vehicles by that year. What is the, the goal of the Californian state government well i think for california it is hey we're a leader and so if we put this out here everybody will follow so even if they fail right even if they fail at least they were the ones that can for the stars hit the moon right and so Mm -hmm. that would be the idealistic view behind why they would do this even though it's completely Mm non-pragmatic okay but the 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 foil hat view of this is that underneath the hood of it there is a move not towards individual nations, but rather trying to get a coalition of 
underneath a larger governing body. And so one of the ways you can do that is a big lever to pull is energy prices. Mm -hmm. So if you make oil exotically expensive, then the natural economic reaction is substitution. I mean, I guess, you know, you're double dipping on both ends, right? Because the lobbyist that comes in and says clean energy, you're appealing to that person. And you're also appealing to the oil sector because they're making higher profit margins when the prices go higher yeah but but here's where we really bring the whole foil hat theory together okay okay prior administration was working on driving fuel prices down right which economically hammers russia cheap oil they don't make enough money to sustain their own government and economy mm-hmm. right and it was something like 36 dollar a barrel oil and they're like losing money at it right russia was going bankrupt right <laughs> so now Oil goes back up to seventy, eighty, ninety, hundred dollars a barrel. Oil, all of a sudden, Russia is flush. Well, and Russia has people to buy its oil, even if we're not the buyer. Well, and that's the thing. Right? India, like, look at India. Precisely, this is a population game with China and India and emerging economies that aren't going to play the environmental game. Mm-hmm. Then what we're effectively doing is saying, like the United States and Europe, the G20, if you will, is more or less saying, like, well, we'll just, you know wag our finger and be angry and be righteous, but will we make an impact? And that goes back to my second, I don't care what your politics are. I'm just saying, does it work? Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's like, well, it gets votes, but does it work? Well, it gets votes. Okay, well, if you want votes, then it works. But does it do the policy outcome you're looking for? Mm-hmm. And then I would suggest there's a good chance it doesn't because driving the cost of oil up may be interesting for globalists, but it's not exactly useful in getting the war in Ukraine to end. And putting an embargo on, in, in Europe on bringing in oil from Russia just makes oil really expensive and cripples Europe, which also has a shrinking population. Conversation for another day, but look at the demographics of countries. Countries with shrinking populations have massive problems. It's true. Okay. And so the, the geopolitical implications of all of this are really complex. Mm-hmm. Okay, But like rising oil isn't as simple as like, oh my gosh, if oil goes up, then we'll buy more solar. Like, no, no. Like if oil goes up, it also supports Russia. Right. And China does have a shrinking population issue. They do. China has a huge demographic problem. They're basically going to look a lot like Japan. They're just like 15, 20 years well, behind them. And the other part that I was trying to figure out too was the article was talking about how they have record high unemployment rates with their youth. In China? Yeah, because, yeah. you know, the younger population just isn't working. Okay. So this is a whole other thing worth discussing. Okay. Why? Well, and again, I don't know what it does for our investors, but mm-hmm. somebody's probably listening and you maybe you're shaking a fist or maybe you're nodding your head. I don't know. Okay. But um, it has a ton to do with culture, but it's why culture matters to investors ultimately and mm-hmm. like how we do things. Now, the question is whether or not we can change it, right? Like like what's driving it and so forth. But uh, when you create a culture problem where work becomes culturally unpopular, mm-hmm. you have a real issue with productivity. Well, and we've seen that in the United States. Exactly. In a big way. We printed money and incentivized people to stay home. So we'll take a step further than that. Let's discuss culture, but all right. First, we got to take another. Oh, again? Oh, we do. Man. It's already time. It's like All right. It flies. Stick around, gang, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang. 
Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Matt Dixon. Where did we leave him off? We were ranting after um, yeah. after we Florida went on culture. It was yeah, culture, yeah, yeah. That's right? what the it question was. Question of culture. Okay. We were. Okay. Yeah, we've been ranting about all kinds of stuff. If you have, like, you want to hear my foil hat theory, and somebody's probably full of fact checking where you're like, you're an idiot. I'm like, maybe, <laughs> but uh, you know, then go listen to the podcast. Right? Okay. But um, how yeah. do they find that, David? Or what if they just absolutely love you and they're like, man, I am such a fan of David Littlejohn, and I just need to talk more to this guy. What do uh, they do? Yeah, that's. That 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 seems foreign, but uh, <laughs> now Matt's always he's always looking for a way to plug the firm a little bit, which I appreciate. Yep. So look, uh, and we got a whole team of people, by the way. But we do. Uh, we are professional financial advisors, and if you have personal questions about how this works, uh, and when I say personal, I mean it's like relevant to your circumstance and not just generic radio play here. Yeah, uh, give us a shout five four one three seven five zero eight nine eight. Uh, or you can go find all kinds of resources and contact info at littlejohnfs.com. Mm-hmm. And you'll see that uh, you know, we have um, multiple branches, and we also have Zoom, so we can be anywhere, right? I like it. Uh, we have clients all over the place, so if you're listening in another state or another country or whatever, that doesn't mean that we are not necessarily the right fit for you. It just means we may not be in your backyard. Mm-hmm. But the world is getting smaller by the day. It's true. And it will give me that excuse to get that pilot license completed so yes uh all right the question was culture map yeah and it really came up in the context of what's going on in china where the reports are that a lot of younger folks are just not going to work right record unemployment for the youth right and the the question would be what's causing that Mm -hmm. okay and i think that this is probably a complicated answer right uh culture is part of it and then um I just have suspicions that when you have a planned economy, okay, and you have people that haven't left the workforce, and you know what's the plan for the people that are entering the workforce, on top of a cultural problem, and I guess I call it a problem, but the, the cultural event here is first you had the one-child policy, and now what you have is these one-child households. A lot of them are saying they don't want to have kids at all. They don't want to deal with it, right? They were the hmm. and think about the dynamic for a minute. Maybe this is not accurate, but the dynamic of single child family versus multiple children. Well, I'm uh, guessing you're going to allude to the fact that that single child feels entitled. Well, they right? get all the attention, right? right? Yes. So, you know, it's like I don't want to share attention, and and I'm making a mass psychology claim here, and I'm not qualified. Uh, to hey, do that, this is more t- anyway. this is more tin foil hat stuff, but I like it. Well, the idea though would be. If that were to play out, and then you would see a lower birth rate, and then you could also see that that entitlement theory playing out. Even if it's just on the fringes of the bell curve, it starts to eat away at productivity and unemployment. Because like if, if unemployment goes up by a couple percent, well, the idea is full employment should be 95 96% of people working. Well, if an extra one out of 100 people doesn't, unemployment falls by 1%. Well, if three people do it, you know, like all of a sudden you're like, my gosh, we're supposed to be at 96%. We're at 93%. That's a lot of unemployment. Like the 7% mm-hmm. unemployment rate, we go, that's pretty high. Right. So, yeah, and that will impact productivity. Now, pair that with a, a declining birth rate. Who's going to buy things like real estate in the future? And who's mm. going to take care of the aging population? Right. This story it's a relates, mechanical problem at a certain point. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, I call it a structural problem, mm-hmm. right? Like you actually have this demographic problem in China where, uh, like, here's a story, right? 
when Social Security was originally invented in the United States, the payout age was 62, but the average life expectancy was 60. There were 64 mm. people paying into the system for every one person taking money out. It okay. was easily solvent. Right. Today, people can take Social Security at 62, but their life expectancy is like 83, 84. Mm. So and, the draw is a lot longer. And we longer. have three people, I think, paying in for every one person. So it went from 60 to 1 to 3 to 1? Yeah. And so the pot gets drained faster than it yeah, accumulates. Yeah, you have more, you just don't have enough people paying in. And it just depends on the demographic age and like how many people are working. But baby boomers were this big population lobe. And then you had the Generation X behind them that was small. And now you've got millennials entering the workforce. But if millennials as a population are working less, right? Fewer of them are working and, and, and fewer of them are paying into the system. You can see the mechanical or the other the structural problem at play here. Hey, I've got an idea. How about we just print some more money and? <laughs> oh, this is on radio. It's not on video, and so you can't see me shaking my head. Uh, I mean, the the money printing thing. But I said it though. I mean, I think I said it from the beginning. Uh, I can't say everybody. I remember when the PPP program rolled out, and I was like, well, they're going to call it a loan, but then they're going to give it to everybody. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, they're not going to do it. It's like, yeah, they will. Yeah. Right? And then it was the, here's the EIDL loans, and it was like, and then we're going to expand them. And, and, you know, and now, gosh, I still I had a call like yesterday from some company trying to uh, convince me to get the employee retention credit. Still? Yeah. Like, no, you can amend returns. And it's uh. like, this is sounding shady. It's like, well, no, we're insured if it's wrong or if you get audited. I swear they're just like, well, do it. And if you don't get audited, you get away with it. And the IRS doesn't have the resources to audit that many people right now. So there's a good chance you'll get away with it. And we kind of know that. Oh. And they wanted 15% of the cut, right? And so our firm's got yeah, X number of employees at $26,000 a head. And you start to math it out. And you go like, what kind of money are you guys making on this one? They can probably afford to scam it out. Oh, yeah. So yeah, even if yeah. the insurance claims hit, you know, one out of every four, <laughs> you know, and they, he's like, "Well, we have two million dollars," and eventually he was really belligerent about it. I said, "All right, I get it. You get paid for setting the appointment," and he wouldn't say that, but he's like, "Well, we'll send out a, you know, a confirm, and we could do this, that, and the other." I'm like, "All right, well, you got that itch scratched. I'll talk to you later." <laughs> you know, it was just this relentless idea of like he was an appointment setter on the phone. It was mm -hmm. very clear, right. So, whatever. Uh, just, you know, this is the world we all live in, right? We all live in this world where some, you're going to get random phone calls. Every now and then you're going to pick one up because you think it's a real one and it's not. And then you have the decision of like, do I hang up immediately or not? And for whatever reason, I was way too charitable initially. And then it was just like, all right, go on. But it's hilarious. He's like, well, you know about that? He said, yep, we don't qualify. Well, at least it was a real person this time instead of AI calling you. It was a real person. And he was not rude or anything. He right. was just like relentless about, well, I was like, all right, here, you got your appointment set. You good? Like, oh, man. He you know, made his day just to say he got an appointment. Now, I think if it has to be held, because <laughs> he's like, well, there'll be a calendar invite. You can move it around if you need to. I'm like, yeah, I'll see you there. 
Okay, so <laughs> we've had we've had this cultural shift in China. We've yeah. seen it here in the U.S. too because we printed money and incentivized people uh, not to. Printing money is not a culture shift. No, no, but when we printed money and then we incentivized people not to work, and it created the cultural shift to say, you know, eh, well, maybe I don't so, need to. Like, here's here's culture problems where that money follows. Okay, let's just think about this out loud for a second. Homelessness in California, I believe, leads the country. Okay? Yeah, that's right. But also. Look at the number of jobs that homelessness has created in the various service agencies and the amount of state and federal money that is pumped into okay. those jobs in order to manage homelessness. You brought up a really good point because I was doing some more reading and it was talking about – because we just had this jobs report come out – what was it, last week? that was talking about how we've added all these jobs and unemployment has gone even lower. What was really interesting in that report is when you look at where have the jobs been added, and the number one area that we've seen an increase in jobs is in government jobs. I knew you were going to say it. Yeah. I think that the state of Oregon is over 40% of the jobs in the state are somehow um, state-related now. Mm -hmm. And uh, this one, here's another one of these like structural realities, gang. Uh, the, the government pays pretty well. And has yep. very robust benefits. Okay? Mm -hmm. The government itself doesn't produce. It regulates. It regulates, okay? yes. And when people say, oh, but what about like infrastructure spending or something? You know, look, the government doesn't have construction companies. The government Writes has checks. contracts that yeah. it pays to the private sector. Okay, And then it has its rules for how it does this stuff. And the issue at play here is... At some point, when the government is bigger than the private sector, it eats the private sector. It's this animal that doesn't constrain itself. Right. And, and what's so it gets spooky bigger about and that. bigger until it's – and now we see debt has exceeded GDP, and, and there's a bunch of people that pretend that's not a problem. Oh, yeah. Here's the scary part to me. I look at that, and, I'm, and I say, what if we continue to skew this thing to infinity? What if all go jobs were government jobs? Right. Like what if the right, private sector gets and there's no incentive to produce. Right. So what can the government do at that point? Start lowering its wages or freeze, yeah. you know, the increase in its. Um, yeah. I mean, if you play it out all the way, it gets pretty alarming. Exactly. Right? And here's the other thing. Like you. So. All right. But we, we can't. We're not on. digressing. We're no, getting. We're, well, what, so what's happened is we're up against like a good point to take a break because I want to leave us enough time to unpack this. Okay. Right? And the idea is like there are some things that we all know. Like you can look at it on the surface and you go, that can't work. But we, when the government does it, we pretend it can work. Mm -hmm. Like that somehow magic happens in the government and it'll be okay. So we'll talk about like how the government isn't actually magic. But we got to take our last obscene profit. Break. All right. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Show. This is Dave Littlejohn in studio with me today. Matt Dixon. And Matt. Yes. Uh, golly. Like, we're ranting during the breaks, too. Oh, like, we're really heated today. I didn't know that this was going to be because, I mean, bless the hearts of our listeners who were like, I thought you might give us a little investment insight today. And all you did was rant. I'm like, I guess it's Rant Tuesday. Like, you know, it's so we're entitled to it. We pay for the show. Entitled <laughs> to it, right? Oh, that word always makes me cringe a little bit. Uh, well, trying to remember what we framed up that I wanted to talk about 
I mean, we kind of ran through some of it during the break, but what do we want to talk to our listeners about? Well, uh, you know, we've talked about culture. Mm-hmm. We've talked about, oh, like the follow the money thing. Okay. Yeah. So look, I'm just going to finish the earlier point. If you're just joining us, grab the podcast and get back on board, right? You know what we're talking about. But the issue here about sometimes it was the idea that the government can get so big that it could eat the private sector. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and that we have some, some problems in the mental frame up of how we, view money that comes through government and also results right so i started to give this example of homelessness in california right yeah and how much money like that's become an industry in and of itself all of these different agencies that are there to somehow serve and support homelessness but what happens if they solved the problem they put themselves out of a job Mm -hmm. a government job with fantastic benefits and great salaries the government wants you broke and needing their assistance well i'm not that cynical i'll say it i will i I mean a lot of people will say it but again it's i'm guessing that most of the people in those positions that's not their real goal no but that's the ultimate result of a scenario where we don't solve it we just manage it Mm -hmm. right and that's what we do with lots of things it's appalling how much we spend per capita on homelessness when you compare it to the median family wage. It just it's completely skewed and it doesn't add up. Right? I mean, it's appalling. Like it's appalling what it costs to house someone in the prison system. Mhm. Okay? Because the the economics just don't make sense. Right. Like we all how look many... at this and go, "Wait a second. It costs me X dollars to live and it costs them like 2x plus 5. You know, it's like why is it so much more for these for the folks that aren't contributing? They they take a disproportionate amount of the resources relative to the people that are contributing, right? And in in many cases it's because of this this attitude that concerns me, right? So let's give the example of um like how people view free money. It's, right. Yeah. Like, let's pretend for a moment. I'll give you. So we live in Douglas County. And so I, I live in Roseburg. OK. And here in Roseburg, because some of you might be listening and you're not from around here. Right. But so here we are, a relatively rural community. And let's just say that uh, the city of Roseburg and this I'm I'm in no way bashing the city of Roseburg. When I say this. I was just give a fictional example. But let's just say that the city of Roseburg wants a new public building of some kind and they don't have it in their budget but they get a grant that says look if you can raise a hundred dollars you'll get a federally matching grant of 50 million dollars to build a building <laughs> and they will go we got to raise a hundred dollars and somebody in the building is going to be like i'll just pull it out of my wallet and give it to you because we're going to get 50 million dollars for free yeah right and to the city of roseburg that would be what it looks like free money mm-hmm. but the reality is, well, it came from somewhere, okay? And this is the danger of thinking that way. It's like, well, federal money isn't free. It's paid through federal tax dollars, except for the part where it's actually not, because the federal government spends more money than it has, which means it's paid by some tax dollars and a bunch of IOUs from our great grandkids. Yeah, the future generations right? just footed that. Yeah, bill. so there's nothing free about this. And now some government wonk will show up and say, "Well, if you look at the way we amortize, and if you consider the uh, economic uh, enhancements, and blah 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 blah," and what they'll do is they'll rationalize this, and then people will go, 
okay, well, somebody smart in like an economic lab coat described to me why this is okay. And then we just continue to push it under the rug. Right, and we'll buy it. And what I'm saying is, here's the difference between like now and 40 years ago, okay? When the government was doing this, you could say, look, look, when the government spends money, then it stimulates economic activity, and economic activity increases, and the government collects more taxes so it can pay for it. I say, that might be true if the government ever saved it when it was good times. That's the Keynesian theory of economics. Hey, in times of uh, like depression, government spends to stimulate the economy. In times of surplus, the government saves. So it's got a piggy bank for the next depression. Right, but what you're saying is, when do we save? Never. No, right? because it's we not going to buy votes. The, yeah, we expand the budget every time. And so it used to be the government would do this, and GDP grew faster than debt. But is it still that way? Absolutely not. No. Today, our debt-to-GDP ratios exceed, like we add debt faster than our GDP can grow. And so what does that mean? It means that one day, most likely, we're going to have to pay well, consider for what we've done. It used to be we had a credit card bill, and we paid for it by getting a raise. Now we have a credit card bill, and we pay for it by getting another credit card. <laughs> yes. It doesn't work. Right. And and like it works for a while. No. Right. And so what happens is somebody out there is going, <laughs> it works as long as they don't find you. Right? <laughs> OK. It's kind of hard for the federal government, though, to hide. <laughs> well, and so then somebody comes along and says, well, we could just print money. And I go, yeah. And look at what happens. Everything gets who gets super hurt by expensive, that and the weakest people die. Mm hmm. And right? that's like where we see that wealth divide fail. And so then it's the government picking winners and losers. Mm -hmm. So once again, it's like, well, what are you, what are you, what are you looking for here? And, and the answer is, I'm looking for a government that can spend within its means, exactly. and acknowledge that there is a, a capitation here, and that means you can't view the money as free. It's never free, right? Every time a student gets a scholarship, some that money came from somewhere. Mm -hmm. right? It wasn't free. Every time the federal government gives a grant to a state program, that wasn't free, mm -hmm. right? The, all that money that came through COVID, that wasn't free. Okay? It all has a cost. And that's the problem here is that there are people that will say, well, because we can't fathom a trillion, like you just don't know what it is. Oh, you get the number like on theory, but you, you just can't understand the staggering amounts and the system is so big right now that like when it when the system like our, our GDP is like 23, 24 trillion now. Yeah. And so you're like, well, what's another trillion? You know, that's the problem. Though. That's where we think it's like, well, what's another trillion? I think you said it best, Matt. We said it's like a game of musical chairs when we, everybody thinks the music won't stop. Mm hmm. OK. And I'll tell you, here's the trick as financial pros, our job is to keep playing the game as well as we possibly can in the hopes that the music doesn't stop, right? Because if the music stops, it doesn't, none of it matters, mm -hmm. right? The trick is, and, and this is really why I think if, if the culture matters and votes matter is, could we change the tune? Hmm. Okay, that's the key, right? Can we change the tune? Could we change behavior? Because believe it or not, I'm really... A believer in it's like it's not too late and it doesn't have to be fixed in one year or even in one generation but a change in culture is required to move that direction 
Correct. Okay, so there is our really long rant of the day. But you tied it back. Fair enough. Well, look, we are out of time, Matt, so let's do this. For all of you out there that could use actual financial help and not just a radio rant, how might they reach us? Give us a call at 541-375-0898. All right. And for the rest of you guys, if you want more information, visit our website, www.littlejohnfs.com. Can they also text our phone number? Yep. We're textable at it's 541-375-0898. You can text us. You can email there's uh you, you google little john financial you get all the ways to find us but that's it okay. so anyway we're out of time for now so until next time my name's dave little john and matt dixon you've listened to true wealth the preceding program was paid for by little john financial services the opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of brook communications its affiliates or its employees